1: listening ink studs and my guest this week is mardu uh mardu's new book is a collection of some of her mini comics sky in stereo uh i guess it's your first uh book with a spine that goes on the bookshelf like that
2: it is yeah mm-hmm.
1: and you've been doing mini comics for quite some time uh before the sky in stereo minis you also had a series called uh manhole mm-hmm as well as uh, the Anaïs Nin, did I get it You got it, you got it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which has been uh, collected in one of those giant graphic canon Mm -hmm. uh, collections. I think it's the third one.
2: That's right, Um, yeah.
1: And your new book, which is out actually this week as we talk. Um, It's out from regular... Comic store distributors from Revival Press mm-hmm. There you go. Thanks for joining me.:,
2: uh, thanks for having me. yeah, it's exciting.
1: Um, I've enjoyed your stuff for quite a while, and I sent an email I kind of like um, was asked to interview you a couple of years ago when the second Sky and stereo came out for me on books and mm-hmm. I didn't follow up very well and I'm happy you had the book now to yeah. follow up. To be better at following up, that, right?
2: So. We've got more to read now as well because it's like the first <laughs> half of like the story, so yeah.
1: Um, now this uh, autobiographical work, somewhat,
2: somewhat. You know, it's it's very very fictionalized. So um yeah, it just gave me much more freedom to sort of make a better story, to sort of <laughs> do what I wanted. So you know, there's some things that are based on my own experience, and then some things which are just you know completely invented so it'd be boring to sort of pick out which bits are which but hopefully it reads like it's somewhat truthful because it's meant to but it's not it's all lies really
1: <laughs> well there's that always that idea of like how truthful is autobio and mm-hmm. you know when you're taking um you're re-subjecting experiences and right um, looking at them through lenses i mean time changes how you remember things. To...
2: Right. And you have to like edit out so much anyway because life is so voluminous and made up of so many moments that you could never put down in, you know, autobiography. You'd be drawing constantly. So um...
1: Now, this story takes place when you're... or the character is about 17?
2: Yeah, Iris is 17. It's like 92, 92, I think. So early 90s.
1: Growing up in Manchester?
2: Uh-huh. As did I. So, yeah, that, that bit's true. <laughs>
1: Um, now, was this something you had been touching on in your other mini comics before this?
2: Not really. This no, this was um this was a story that you know I started to write down in notebooks years and years ago, and um, it was when I moved to the states, and I, I think I just finished like Manhole Two, and I listened to um Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar an audiobook, and um, I was like, you know, I really need to tell this story. so that was like the spurring moment. And so I just began collecting all the disparate bits of it I'd written in different notebooks and started to really write a script for real. So this would have been about 10 years ago.
1: Had you done much journaling when you were young? No, you
2: know, you know I started keeping a journal in my 20s, but, you know, no, not not when I was like 17 like Iris, so.
1: Now, I want to know a little bit more before we kind of jump into the book, uh, maybe yeah. a bit more about your past and stuff. Um, now, you were, uh, you live in St. Louis now. I do. Um, Growing up in Manchester, and um, you, uh, while you are in, in the UK, I guess you and some friends started a comics thing, uh, The Horrors of Mensa.
2: Yeah, that was like um, maybe 2002 or something, it's going back a bit. Um, so yeah, I connected with cartoonists in England, um, a, a lady called Jeremy Dennis, who's now called Jeremy Day, and um, Ellen Lindner, who is obviously like from New York, but she was living in London at the time. And yeah. Um, and a girl called Lucy Sweet as well, who's now a novelist as well as a cartoonist. And um, yeah, I was like, you know, there's some great people making comics and I want to have this girl club going. So I kind of bullied them into being in um, this comic together. It was kind of based on, um, is it called Triple Dare? I think it's called that. It was like a Tom Hart comic that it did with James Kachalka and it's going back a long time. But I read yeah. that. Yeah. And it was. You know, each cartoonist had like 10 pages to make like a 30 page book. And I really liked that idea that each cartoonist would have like, you know, like, um, like a longer place to tell stories, because a lot of anthologies just have like two pages from a cartoonist or something. And I thought with 10 pages, we could tell some maybe interesting stories. And so, yeah, they were up for the idea. And um, we did. Let's see, I think we did four or five issues of that. I edited four issues of it. And then Ellen Lina took over and she turned it into the strumpet for a bunch of reasons. One of them being that Mensa, the actual intellectual group, did not really like us <laughs> calling it <a> horse <laughs> and Mensa. They,
1: They're so self-important.
2: I know. And, you know, come on. Like, do you really think people are going to get confused? Because this is what they said. They said people will find it confusing. And it's like, I think, I'm pretty sure people would not think that Mensa have, like, official whores. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <Like, laughs> So, uh, and then you eventually saw it our way and they backed down, which was fine. But, you know, by that point, I'd kind of gotten sick of um, being an editor and I just wanted to focus on my own work. So being sick doesn't, you know, being sick of it, that's not quite true. But I was ready to sort of just focus on my own work a little more. And I think I think doing anthologies is great when you're in your 20s and you're energetic and then, you know, you reach a point where it's just like, ah, this is a lot of work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so. Especially trying to corral folks right, into a book right. together.
2: Yeah. And deal with printers and things like that so I was was done with it but Ellen's doing a great job with this trumpet I'm really enjoying that and it's a good way to keep an eye on up-and-coming female cartoonists something I'm very interested in so
1: um now was that pretty early in when you were doing mini comics and whatnot it was yeah
2: yeah my first couple of comics were called styro and um I did them with a, a, my best friend, actually, Flotensky, and he would write scripts and I would draw them. And that was I was really learning how to draw comics. I mean, I've still got some of those old issues with styro and they're pretty terrible. I mean, I, I still think they're funny because my friend Flotensky is like a hoot. But um, yeah, my drawing is pretty embarrassing though. So I was, you know, I was really learning how to do comics, like mini comic by mini comic. And um, those styros have been retired from the public. So hopefully not too many people will see them. Which is
1: fine. Um, So, you mentioned uh, the was it the Triple Dare comic, Mm -hmm. Um, but what were some of your your own personal um, early influences? And I'm really curious, especially because you're coming from a unique scene where a lot of the UK folks I've talked to kind of either are much older and before you, or they're kind of the newer wave, um, like the last five, ten year. Right, helps. and yeah. so you're kind of before that.
2: So when I was sixteen, this comic called Deadline, which was like a magazine comic thing, um, was out, and you could just buy it in in the grocery store. You know, you could buy it in. We have these shops called newsagents where you just go in to buy a newspaper and some candy. I guess you have those in New York, but you don't really have them in the Midwest. So um, you could buy this basically in your your local convenience store, is what I'm saying. And that was a huge deal. I mean, um, so Tank Girl was in Deadline and Nick Abadzis was serializing. um, Hugo Tate, which was, I mean, still is a a big influence on me. And um, yeah, that was such a great book, you know, and um, it had like bands in it as well. And every every issue would have like interviews with like indie bands who are british or american and i know um jamie hewlett really wanted to be um a cartoonist for a band and he would talk about it back then so he would like do all the artwork for this band called the senseless things and now you know that now he's he's mr gorillas so uh he kind of really fulfilled an ambition there but it all started with deadline and so so yeah that was that was a huge influence on me and I actually tried drawing my very first comic when I was about 16, 17, and it was like a Tank Girl rip-off. <laughs> was, I mean, that was... <laughs> I don't even have the sketchbooks for that would have existed anymore. But, you know, I did figure out how, like, difficult it is to draw comics, so I gave it up <laughs> pretty quickly. And then returned to it in my 20s, so... And that was when I discovered... Um, my friend Fortensky had introduced me to um, 8-Ball and um, Hate, which was being serialised at the time, so I would... Um, yeah i would read those and be like "Ah, i want to do this again so this is when i started drawing comics again and didn't stop so
1: now what did you go to university for did you go for art or was it for no i
2: studied uh, english literature so okay yeah
1: is that part of your interest in in nin?
2: oh absolutely she's um She's kind of one of my heroes you know she's just like so brave and she just like wrote all her stuff out and didn't care you know she well you know I mean obviously like the interesting stuff didn't get published till after she was dead but you know she was um I know she's quite a brave lady I think so yeah um yeah I'm really big into literature I still am you know and uh, it was a good thing to study I mean to be a writer you know which is kind of mainly how I see myself I see myself as a Someone who approaches comics through, like, writing and scripting, like, primarily, so.
1: Um, is that the only kind of uh, non-fiction work, or is there other stuff that you've done on different folks or topics? Um,
2: yeah, you know, that is actually. That was the first time I'd ever tried doing biography, and it was, like, it was so much work just to do, like, a 20-page comic. You know, I had no idea... <laughs> Um, I actually did it we did um Horser Mensa, which was about women of Paris and so that was my contribution to that and um yeah it was like so much research I mean I'd read all her diaries but I was I had to like go through them and find all the quotes I wanted to pull and you know I mean still in terms of copyright I have no idea like how legal that comic is because I just used what I wanted you know so <laughs> <laughs> but it's not on me anymore you know can't buy the comic anymore so I don't...
1: <laughs> did uh graphic canon I guess have to clear stuff
2: I I hope, hopefully they did. (laughs) Who
1: knows? (laughs) Um, Tell me about that process of, like, boiling down uh, someone's life story and kind of picking out the essentials.
2: Well, you know, I mean, biography is always so, um, you know, it's it's kind of about the person writing the biography as well, because it's their selective view of this person, you know, so... Oh, let me think. It's, it was such a long time ago that I did this. Um, I just had, like, a notebook, and anything that kind of, like, struck me, I would, like, write down. And then there were a couple of biographies of Anna Eisenin. Um A lot of people, you know, she's a very dividing person, like, divisive person, I should say. Like, she really divides people, you know, and people either love her or hate her. And I started off hating her. I thought she was, you know this self-centered kind of um, pampered person and eventually I kind of like you know but I couldn't put her books down I kept reading them and so eventually I was like you know I really like her um and so yeah my my feelings on her have changed and it was I was trying to do something that was sympathetic and showing to the extent that she was kind of trapped a little bit you know she was um she was trapped in a marriage that she stayed in out of convention and duty and and also you know she didn't have any money of her own and so you know, she just really came from a different era, but she was, like, so modern, you know. She was, she really um, transcended the time she was born in, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a lot of agency she took for herself in a yeah. time where women weren't necessarily afforded many right. liberties.
2: Yeah, and she was completely self-educated, you know. Actually, um, Doris Lessing is someone else that I'm really into right now, and um, she was also self-educated. It's kind of interesting, you know, these unconventional thinkers in a way, but they didn't go through a university, so... <laughs> yeah maybe, uh, maybe i made, made a mistake in going to college You know.
1: <laughs> well who's uh forgive my ignorance but uh, who's Doris Lessing?
2: oh she won the nobel prize for um the nobel prize for literature for the golden notebook oh, okay uh, yeah i mean she's she's one of those great writers of the 20th century and her books are kind of big and difficult and oh i just love her she's great <laughs> <laughs> big difficult women that's <laughs> yeah that's yeah. a recurring thing. <laughs>
1: Um, now, your other pers- the mini comics have, um what were some of the stuff we would have seen in some of the manholes and the Horse of mensa? I love saying the names they're so like <laughs> i got I got
2: love issue with um with manhole people thought it was like the dirtiest sounding comic. I was like that's. That reflects how you think, not on me, because I'm just thinking of a manhole cover. It's you see it in the street, it's a conduit to another world, you know. <laughs> and people are like, Ew, <laughs> shut up, it's fine. Um, Kevin, Kevin Heisanger really liked the name manhole. He was like, No, you should use it, keep it. <laughs> <Use> it. <laughs> He's <laughs> one of the champions of that title. Um, so some stuff you would have seen, probably not very much at all. I mean, um, I only did like a couple of hundred of issues of those. And again, I've let them sort of fade into obscurity. Um, I guess the stuff in Manhole was a little bit more slice of life-ish. That was a bit more autobiographical. It's about as autobiographical as I've ever gotten, you know. Just like little episodes from life that I would illustrate. And yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They're, they're kind of sloppy, really. I mean, I look back on them now, and it's like, you know, there's something there, and I can sort of, I can sort of admire them for, like, a stage in my life. But, you know, I've moved on. <laughs> so, sh- so should you, Robin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I'm documenting all this stuff for history. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> People get mad sometimes when I pull out really obscure things. No, no, that's all right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's my job. Right. You know, I come from the tradition of Nardwire. The Human survey. I don't know if you know what that is. I
2: don't
0: know.
1: He's uh, kind of a Vancouver or, or kind of Canadian mm-hmm. weird pop culture figure who does these ridiculous interviews with like musicians and stuff, and he'll just bring out the weirdest, oldest
2: right, right. stuff.
1: Like, uh, watch his Snoop Dogg interviews; they're very good.
2: Okay, huh?
1: Where he'll like bring out these like weird, obscure funk albums, and Snoop will be like, "Where did you find that?" and just start taking it from him. And, <laughs> So yeah, check out Nardwar. He was from the same station I used to be okay. uh, broadcasted out of. Um, now speaking of music, one of the things I was thinking about with uh this guy in stereo, um the book title, uh, which I don't know the reference at all, but it like really gave me the idea of it, like felt like very like kind of weird post rave england like i saw an orbital poster and it kind of like uh-huh. that's kind of what i feel like when i hear right hear that book title
2: well thank you you know that's the only book title i've never swiped <laughs> it's the <laughs> only book title that i didn't swipe from anywhere i actually came up with that all by myself and i really like it and it really sums up for me also what the book is about you know it's about this girl having this like lsd vision but it's about music as well and um yeah so thank you
1: um, now manchester uh, I'm kind of fascinated about the kind of growing up with the music scene around there because that's where like so much uh, amazing stuff was coming out of. Yeah. At that time. Um, were you really into the things that were happening there? Oh, we talked so, about Morris yeah. earlier before we started.
2: So when I was finishing high school, which in England, you finish high school at 16. And so you go on to like do your A levels, like when you're 17 and 18, and then you go to university if you're going to do that. But it's like optional. So, when I was finishing high school and I was 16, um, bands like um, the Happy Mondays and James were having their heyday. And so, Manchester was, or Madchester, I should say, was, was kind of like a big deal. And that was, you know, that did make an impression on me. Like, this place is culturally important and it's, it's made some, like, you know, impressive artists. And I was, I was kind of into the Happy Mondays, not so much James. Um, and then, you know, I kind of discovered, like, bands that were before my time, like um, Joy Division and New Order. Well, New Order were kind of my time but Joy Division were not and then bands like the Smiths which I've got to confess I'm not really into the Smiths so much but um but yeah I was always aware of my city's you know my hometown's legacy of like music I mean I think I was born in the same hospital as um as uh Ian Curtis you know I'm from Macclesfield actually so um so yeah yeah it's a big deal <laughs> for any tank union, you know that and football and beer <laughs> they're like three things we have like Boddington's brewery so we make like a lot of beer there that's like a, a big export and then you know I mean basically anything from a Morrissey song you know or, or Smith song you'll find it so Strange Ways we have the prison as well that's another big thing so yeah prison's football
1: and beer
2: so, yeah yeah music
1: <laughs> I like that
2: Coronation Street we have like this famous TV show that's from Manchester as well so yeah
1: oh I'm Canadian I know what Coronation Street is oh
2: excellent yeah <laughs>
1: It's uh, I think it's broadcast on our uh, CBC here. Oh, that's fantastic! With regular frequency.
2: That. Yeah, I was actually just in a CBC, CBC, CBC building a couple of weeks ago.
1: Oh yeah, you were up in Toronto for that.
2: Yeah, the... yeah, <laughs> that's
1: funny. Um, so seventeen, sixteen, seventeen. Um, I kind of one of the interesting things, like we talked about, how it's not particularly somewhat autobahs and whatnot, and I'm wondering about um kind of crafting this adolescent experience Mm -hmm. um and kind of how you allow the story to meander in different directions Mm -hmm. which i'm really fascinated about it's not just like when you see that kind of thing it's like okay here's the points when these things happen like you really let it spread out i did i took my time
2: yeah i took my time telling the story but um We've got to bear in mind that this book is like the first volume of two volumes and so this is completing like one story arc but then there's a second story arc and I don't want to give any spoilers but um, a lot of the things that are mentioned in the first book like Iris's like religious background for example they really um, find their like flowering in the second book so even though it seems like meandering actually a pretty tight structure i think so
1: (laughs) i don't mean in a derogatory (laughs) way um it is it's quite interesting like you you brought up the religion the jehovah's witness um and it was a neat i don't know neat's the right word but kind of powerful way of starting out the book just like bam with this kind of indoctrinated experience right um and kind of exploring how that works and the challenges of that. Uh, and it really sets the tone
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for some of those like adolescent challenges. Right. Uh, and I'm really interested in that, like in how you retell that experience.
2: You know, I think sort of teenagers, I mean, when I was a teenager, let me say that, um, you know, like I was in- interested in intense experiences and you know, England is quite a secular country, really, and people don't really go to church. And so when this enters her life and entered my life, it was like, wow, like who knew the Bible had all this stuff in it? You know, because people don't talk about it. It's not like America where you'll see crosses all over the place and, you know, Jesus stickers like on cars. <laughs> it's just so different in England. So, so, yeah, this intense experience, this intense like mental experience of discovering the bible and god and everything but then also dealing with the reality of it it's just like well if you're going to do this you have to go to church a couple of times a week and it's going to be super boring you know so i was trying to show that you know the kind of intense boredom that teenagers have and also that thirst for like big experiences and yeah i was trying to show both those things
1: there there's that and then there's the um loss of agency as well like you kind of see teenagers not really being able to be teenagers. How do you mean? Well, just like you couldn't tell the age of oh, the right. other folks because they're all dressed
2: Right, we're all dressed formally. ultra-conservatively, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was a, a big deal. <laughs> that was a big part of it, you know. I'd see kids wearing, like, Doc Martens and cool clothes. It's like, yeah, I don't want to dress like my mom. <laughs> so, so, My mom, I should say. Sorry. So that was, like, another part of it as well.
1: Now another big part of the book is um, psychedelics, uh, LSD. And um, I'm really interested in, in how that kind of weaves through and how you retell that experience mm-hmm. using um, black and white comics. Right. And kind of more explaining it through ideas than necessarily, depending on the visuals of it. Right. Like, you intersect some, some visuals in there, but it's not dependent on being like, ooh, this is trippy. Right,
2: right. Yeah, I wanted it to be very grounded in real life, you know, and and there's so much misunderstanding about drugs, you know, and because everything's a drug, really. You know, like coffee's a drug and so is beer. And, you know, it's just some drugs are, like, you know, incredibly frightening to the grown-up world. And um, at the same time, it's like, you know, kids spin around on the floor until they're dizzy and fall over it's just like looking for these experiences you know and i think iris is like looking for these experiences too and it's all kind of wrapped up in literature as well you know she'd read the doors of perception and this seemed kind of glamorous and cool and it was yeah it was kind of tricky because i don't want to write like a pro-drug story but i want to write an honest sort of story you know like i don't want to encourage people to like go out and mess with their brain chemistry i'm not sure it's a very good thing to do but it's something that you know I did when I was a kid and it's something that Iris did and there's consequences you know and I wanted to show that and be honest about it and I also wanted to show how just you know doing harmless drugs like pot you know it's like a lot of people have a really good time doing that that's totally fine but at the same time like not everybody does and like it's just you know drugs are not for everyone music's not for everyone you know (laughs) so yeah it was a fine line and um it gave me some discomfort to, like, write about it, you know, because I'm, like, a parent now, and, you know, I don't want to be a huge hypocrite, but at the same time, I think that certain things are more important than, you know, having crazy drug experiences. But I just want to be truthful, so, yeah.
1: Um, how much of, like, taking part in these experiences has to do with, um, I'm presuming it was a pretty kind of suburban-esque area you were growing up in.
2: Yeah, it was Just, it was kind of like a small town within a big city, you know. Yeah. So. And you can, like, walk to the city from the town. I mean, it'll take, like, half an hour, but it's, it's a relatively safe, like, stable place near a big town centre, you know. So... So yeah, that, that town was a part of it as well. And just like layers to the town. I mean, I couldn't have drawn it without Google Maps and which was really fun because I basically did these like virtual tours of my own my old hometown, you know. And um it was so weird because like some things have really changed and then everything else is like still the same. And um and you know like England's really kind of like dirty as well. Like I took my six-year-old daughter to to England, I took her to Manchester, and she just couldn't believe the litter everywhere. She's getting really angry about it. And it's funny because when you go on like Google Maps and Street View and you zoom in, you can actually see like litter all over the ground and you, you can identify. It's like, oh, there's a packet of Maltesers and there's like a <laughs> kind of Coke. So, so, you know, that hasn't changed. They still haven't spent any money on street cleaning <laughs> departments. <laughs> so.
1: I went there for the first time last year and it was, it's very weird just like how different things are there and just
2: i would have I thought know. for a canadian it'd be somewhat familiar because you know the queen's still on the banknotes and things and
1: yeah but vancouver especially is a pretty like it's a hundred year old city like it's a what sorry a hundred year old city okay, okay. like it's a it's a fairly new type place yeah hey, that's grown. that's old
2: by american standards <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I've not been to Vancouver. I've been, I think, Montreal is the furthest west I've been. So, um, so yeah. I mean, for for someone who lives in America now to sort of go to Canada, it just feels so familiar and and cute, you know. I love it. <laughs> but, but for a Canadian going to England, you know, I guess it's um, yeah, it's not that same feeling of familiarity because England's so old and
0: just yeah.
1: Dense.
2: Isn't it so dense, you know?
1: It was surpri- It was really interesting just to see, like, because we drove. Um, and everyone thought we were crazy for driving yeah. uh, from uh, London up to Scotland. Everyone's like, oh, I've never been to Scotland. I'm like, it's a five hour drive. Why would you never go?
2: You see, British people never do that. That's like, whoa. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's like a big drive. And then for me now, that's like, you know, it's going to Chicago from St. Louis. So it's, it's not a big deal. It's all you do it in a day, you know, half a day. <laughs> so yeah. Perspectives have changed. Yeah.
1: Um, Now you mentioned going to Canada earlier, going to Toronto, and that was for the premiere of um, the Missing Girl, right? Which you did uh, comics that are within the movie.
2: That's right. Yeah, it's um, it's a a film by A.D. Calvo. It was his first um, sort of indie film in a way. He's done horror films before, and this was his first more um, what would you say like naturalistic, like slice of life kind of movie. And it's about um, it's about. a man who owns a comic book store and his sort of mental obsessions and um, journey as he thinks his, his employee, who's um, a young cartoonist called um, Ellen, and she goes missing and he, he invents this crazy story for her that doesn't turn out to be true. And, you know, the viewer knows that. That's not a spoiler. But she leaves behind a sketchbook in the film and um, I drew the sketchbook for her. And then there's artwork that I did, like chapter cards, which are they're sort of sprinkled throughout the film. And then at the end, uh, you know, she has like a mini comic as well and you get to see that and that's, uh, I drew that too for her.
1: How so, did that end up coming about?
2: That came about through the Sky Stereo mini comic um, that Jan Books published. Um, that was in Bergen Street Comics, I believe, and um, A.D. Calver, the director, and his wife, they were looking for a female cartoonist to draw, you know, Ellen's comics for the film and they they found my comic and contacted me and it came about from that so yeah it was really it was really serendipitous and um I was really happy to work with them they're such great people and I really enjoyed the film as well like as you said I went to the Toronto Film Festival to see the premiere and it's it's just beautiful uh, Robert Longstreet plays plays Mort who's the comic book owner and he's um the comic book store owner I should say and, um, he's such a wonderful actor and, um, Alexia Rasmussen, who plays Ellen, is just, oh, she's amazing. She's so cute in it. So, yeah, it was really fun.
1: Tell me about the process behind having to create, uh, comics for a movie. Like, do you find yourself having to, like, adjust your style somewhat?
2: You know, I didn't really. I mean, the actual sketchbook stuff that I drew, I drew maybe a bit more slick than, you know, my regular style, um... But that was because I was asked to. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see, I sort of, so he, the director sent me the, the um, screenplay, and this was before production had even begun, really. This was sort of way back. And um, so I got to see, like, many different versions of the script, which was really informative as someone who writes scripts as well. You know, it's like, wow, I don't rewrite nearly quite enough <laughs> as I should be doing. That's really, really helped me. You know, it's been really, um, really educational. And so um, he had a lot of questions for me because, you know, he's not a cartoonist and he he wanted Ellen's character to sort of be true to life. And so I gave him a lot of information about the cartoonist life and, you know, and that kind of thing. And and then stuff about for the props department, you know, like, well, what should Ellen's desk look like? So I supplied photographs and links to, um, you know. I actually sent him a picture of Vanessa Davis's desk which was online. I was like, you know, this is pretty messy, this might be what you go for. Because <laughs> I'm kind of a neat nick, you know, I'm kind of a bit too tidy. So so yeah, so it was it was just like a really fun project and you know, as paying comics gigs go, that's you know, that was like a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity. So and I was incredibly grateful for that. Nice. Yeah. Um,
1: it, I, I watched the trailer beforehand it looked it looked fun
2: yeah yeah and it's beautifully filmed as well the cinematography is it is just lovely so yeah
1: now you're i was kind of going through your websites and stuff as as one does before an interview um and i, I noticed you've also been doing some uh some personal sketchbook stuff uh
2: um, yeah yeah i have
1: with, with color and
2: I'm so bad about updating my Tumblr because, you know, I have like a sketchbook full of stuff, but I just find it's too personal. Like, you know, it's pictures of my kid and my husband and family life. And it's just, I don't know. A, I don't think people will be interested in it. And B, it's like, I just don't want to share that, you know, it's too personal. So, so yeah, I'm constantly trying to find things that I can actually like put online and not feel, <laughs> not feel weird about. So yeah, I've been keeping sketchbooks for years. I used to, I used to have a live journal and um, just don't know, you know, and that was full of like sketchbook stuff going going back like 10 years and
1: i think uh, i followed your live journal yeah i just i deleted it ago. like on
2: the spur of the moment and then <laughs> i was like why did i do that and i had a chance to sort of resurrect it and i just never did and then it, it completely went away
1: now it's uh, like a russian hack site. Just, like, yeah probably.
2: gone forever who knows <laughs> yeah maybe it's all this a russian cartoonist called madu <laughs> selling my stuff <laughs> that would be kind of interesting
1: <laughs> i know uh michael deforge's uh live journal page got hacked by russians he's like yep oh, that's fine it's right. gone no one yeah. has to see that
2: <laughs> yeah um, they really like live journal in russia i'm not quite sure why <laughs> maybe putin doesn't let them have tumblr or something
1: <laughs> he doesn't like to the, the social justice uh activists on tumblr too much yeah more.
2: He's, he's got problems poor guy i feel well i, you know, I don't feel sorry for him he's <laughs> yeah enough of putin <laughs> not about him <laughs>
1: are you doing a strip for Mother magazine?
2: I am. That's what I'm currently working on. Yeah.
1: Tell me a bit about that. That's a neat thing that they have going because there's lots of uh amazing women doing yeah, and Motherhood you have know, strips on there.
2: It's kind of funny as well because I was pregnant at the same time as uh, Rena IU Yang and um Lauren Weinstein so we all had our babies like around the same time. Actually me and Rena had babies like within a day of each other. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cool. So it's really inspiring to see that they did comics from mother and I was like, you know, I I'm sort of inspired to do my birth story as well, but um Again it was like a huge headache when I just mentioned like the personal aspects of my sketchbooks and this was like way more personal because I didn't have a very fun pregnancy at all and so yeah I've needed like a lot of hand holding from um, the editor at Mother Magazine Meg she's great but I, I wouldn't have been I... able to do it without her because it was it's just been a sort of depressing scary and I'm still like nervous about it because you know people get kind of emotional on the internet and um, You know, no matter how sensitive you are, I think people can still find things to get upset about. And so when it comes to something sensitive like pregnancy and like waiting for tests and things like that, you know, and it's, oh, I'm quite nervous about it. But yeah, I'm doing it anyway, so.
1: (laughs) Uh, Do you have an expected time for it to come out, or is it one of those because it's been so challenging? It's just going to happen when it happens?
2: No, I mean, I'm almost done with it so hopefully pretty soon yeah next few weeks or so next month maybe
1: um meg's pretty fantastic i gotta meet her last year for the book festival
2: yeah i really like her and michelle t i mean is another reason why i wanted to do it because i'm such a big fan of michelle t she's an amazing writer and um you know again she's one of those big brave Big girl writers, you know, big difficult women. <laughs> <laughs> I love so much. So yeah, I'm really excited to be doing something for Michelle T's website. So
1: Yeah. And you're also in the process of working on the second Sky and stereo book.
2: Yeah, it is completely um thumbnailed and, you know, like in quite a tight format. So I basically just have to lightbox it and pencil it and ink it and that's uh that's it. So I'm hoping that within the next eight months or so that should be feasible. Nice. But yeah, it's it's all it's all completed apart from the actual drawing. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> you know, the, the
1: the making it a physical object and. Uh,
2: Do you know what I actually find it. like the hard part is the writing and the thumbnailing. You know, figuring out what's going to go in each panel. I mean, that's already worked out. So I just feel like I've got the fun stuff ahead, which is kind of nice. So.
1: Well, you were saying earlier you were talking about the scripting and how you kind of have to revise your scripts. Mm-hmm. And maybe you want to revise more, um, how much? like, how elaborate is that script that you're doing?
2: Well, the, the, the script for Sky and Stereo like, completely finished and thumbnail, so um, I'm not really editing that anymore. Um,
1: no, but, like, through the process of, of making process. that... Yeah, of getting to that point.
2: Yeah. Um, so one of the main deals of this book is I actually wrote too much, and so I actually found the story that I wanted to tell through the editing process and just through, like, clipping off, like... 200 pages at a time oh, wow. literally i had like two chapters before even you know like it starts out when aris is like seven i was like why am i going back this far this is not necessary and um, you know i read books on like you know the writing process and i found lots of like useful exercises you know where you draw these little mind maps of like what you want to happen in each chapter and how you can boil it down to that and so so yeah a lot of work went into just actually trying to sort of cut the fat from the bones and just find the story that i want to tell And that involved writing a lot of extraneous stuff in this case. Um, I'm actually currently working on um, the novel, the graphic novel I will do after Sky and Star is finished. It's tentatively called Gold Record and it's about a band. And that's, um, like I said, I'm in the process of scripting that right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've got a bunch of things going on.
1: (laughs) Is this pretty normal for you to do like three or four things at once?
2: No, I mean, I've never really had the opportunity before. I quit my job um, like twenty. 13 and um so I've had yeah I've had like a full year off of not having a day job of, and so that's thanks to the largesse of my husband Ted May because he has a proper job that keeps us all fed and clothed and so yeah no this is the first time I've ever had so much time to actually just tackle like two projects at once or three projects at once um I was at where was I I was at one of the comic shows I think it was eight a couple of years ago and um Gilbert Hernandez was you know, doing a panel there, and he was talking about all the different projects he has going. And he was talking about how he has a folder for each project. And when he opens that folder, that's the only project he's working on. And then he can, in the afternoon, he can close that folder and open a different folder. And I was really inspired by that. So now I have like a bunch of different colored folders on my shelf with <laughs> all my different projects in them. And it really works, it's really helpful. All only...
1: very meticulously ordered.
2: Well, yeah, it looks neat. <laughs> There's some chaos in there. I need my chaos too. um, but yeah it's the problem is i mean with writing because it's like there's only certain times of the day i can actually write you know and that tends to be the morning so it's good to be able to sort of focus my mornings on writing and my afternoons to just inking whilst listening to a podcast or something that's looks like a perfect day sorry (laughs)
1: um that sounds like a good way to spend an afternoon i know it's a nice life isn't it i'm like
2: (laughs) pinch me i'm dreaming you know living the dream
1: (laughs) Just a reminder, folks, I've been talking to Mardu, uh, whose new book is Guide Stereo out in comic stores now for the fine folks at Revival House, and you can get that book online, comic stores. And are was saying it's uh, Revival House's biggest book that they've done.
2: It's the first, like, square-bound book they've done. Is that what you call it? Square-bound book?
1: Perfect-bound, square-bound, yeah. Yeah,
2: you know, it's got a chunky spine, so yeah, it's their first one, and... It's amazing. I mean, yeah, I just stumbled into working with Dave Nuss at Revival House Press and he's um, it's a small publishing house but it's kinda of mighty. Like he's he's arranged all kinds of things for me. It's exciting, so Yeah,
1: yeah. no, I, I always really like uh, the stuff that he does. He'll just send me little snippets here and there and I'm really yeah. really into into what he's doing.
2: He's yeah, best. well he's publishing my husband's head may as well. He's doing uh, men's feelings. <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah, and Men's Feelings, too, is it's actually in the room next to me right now, the finished manuscript. So. <laughs> so I'm very got,
1: excited to see that when it comes out. Yeah, to it.
2: it's, it's really great. It's really good.
1: Um, and also, I should mention that you'll be signing at Left Bank Books on the 15th of October in uh, St. Louis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, folks in St. Louis, go out, check it out, check out the book. And yeah, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, yeah.
1: They say you still got it and that's what they said.